Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of InPeak, a platform where entrepreneurs and business professionals come to network, learn together, and stay ahead of the curve in the fast-paced world of emerging technologies like blockchain, Web3, NFTs, AI, automation, and so much more. My guest on today's podcast is Dimitri Buterin, the father of Vitalik Buterin, Ethereum's co-founder and creator. Dimitri and I have a lot in common as immigrants. Like myself, Dimitri grew up in a dictatorship. For people like us, decentralization really makes sense, and it becomes super clear why we need it. It was really fun talking to someone who's had a role to play in bringing one of the geniuses of our time into existence and has had a front row to all things Ethereum. Before we start, I also wanted to tell you about Athletic Greens, our sponsor for today's show. I started taking their AG1 daily supplement because I work 14 to 15 hours a day and I need a way to stay at my peak performance. Now I've been taking it for several months at this point and I love it. I definitely feel more mentally alert and I seem to be more energized during my workouts. Honestly, it's no wonder that Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. I wanted to share this with you because I personally have been loving it. To make it easier for you, Athletic Greens is also going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We also have another sponsor today. Meta Brew Society, founded by Holger Manwiller, is the first project that builds a utility bridge between NFTs and the metaverse and a legacy industry. Every Meta Brew Society NFT grants you in real life utility of up to 300 cans of free craft beer per year in perpetuity. You also get voting rights on business decisions and access to exclusive brewing classes and beer tastings. Meta Brew Society is preparing to buy a real brewery from the NFT drop where they deliver product innovations like high protein or smoked beers. They are also creating iconic beer shops in a digital twin of the Meta Brew Society in the metaverse. The NFT revolution of the beer industry happens now and you can be part of it. I uh, listened to your podcast interview on Bankless and I really wanted to talk to you for so many reasons. You know, originally I come from Iran. You know, I grew up in Iran, actually. So I came to the UK when I was 23. So Mm. I have a lot of things in common with your upbringing and what you discussed, uh, you know, on on the podcast. And a few things that you mentioned, and actually I made some notes here. uh, So a few things that you mentioned were so um, close to my own experience. So um, you talk about how when you were growing up, where you had to do these things where like you would chant uh, about the government, you know, how great the government is and how, yeah, yeah like t- tell me a little bit about that because we used to do that at school, you know, and they got us to chant, yeah. you know, death to Israel. I mean, basically, <laughs> basically from uh, the first grade, I think, right, we were indoctrinated into this whole system of uh, saying that our country is the greatest there lenin who is actually now i understand as one of their worst you know 
uh, murderers the world has ever seen. And he's, you know, our, whatever, he's our saint and uh, we are the best and stuff like that, right? And that's been going on since the first grade and uh, all the portraits, all the propaganda, right? And uh, there was very little information coming from outside. It was all self-contained, right? And it was really uh, fascinating to see all of that. Uh, and basically by the time I was a teenager, it was also pretty obvious that this is just a lot of bull um, and this was also very interesting for me to see how the Soviet Union fell apart. And now to see Russia now going back to basically the same place, just a different crazy mix now with the added religion. Because when I was growing up, religion was also a bad thing. Like, you know, the only religion was their socialism and communism. Uh, and now it's a crazy mix of uh who knows what, you know, the Russian Orthodox religion and uh, patriotism and just overall craziness, uh, uh, very cyclical. And I could never have imagined that Russia would go back to what I have already witnessed. And I now come across all these videos and pictures of uh, Russian kids in kindergartens, you know, singing patriotic songs and uh, basically saying with posters that uh, with things like kill Ukrainians and we will win and stuff like that. So it's, but this is how this this happens, right? And obviously Iran and, and Soviet Union and some other countries who have went through that and it's uh, North Korea, right? Been doing this for a long time. So it's very uh, painful to watch that, but that's also one aspect of what life is. So I'm glad that you got out of that and I'm happy that uh, I and uh, was able to get out and all of my relatives are outside of that place. Yeah. So two things I want to ask you. So like, you know, of course, me and you, we were both very lucky that we got out. Um, but there are a lot of people who live in those environments and not everybody can get out. You know, we've been very mm -hmm. lucky. Not everybody can get out. But there are a lot of really amazing people in these environments that um, have got great ideas but they but those ideas can never come to fruition because they are living in a um in like a swamp essentially right like when you live in in a place like that it's very hard like I, there's no way i could have done the things that i've done you know when i came to the uk i actually created a, a death metal band you know <laughs> you know i was i was in a death metal band for four years you know, back cover of Metal Hammer magazine, Kerrang magazine, we did, uh, you know, toured Europe and, and the UK. And it was, um, it, it was like, it was really interesting to be able to actually scream and, and uh, you know, uh, express the frustration, right? Like, these are all the things. And, and then, of course, you know, then I went and um, I studied in St. Andrews University, got two master's degrees in politics and philosophy, and then went and um, into media, created my own um, first another company. Now this, uh, uh, you know, in peak uh, the platform I'm building. There's no way I could have done any of these things. So what what would you say, Dimitri, to people who are living still in that in those environments? Obviously, it's not like there's some. It's a difficult situation, no question about this. And I know a number of uh, people, friends in Russia, who are really struggling and suffering because they, they're trying to protest and they cannot protest because they've been fined, they've been to jail and stuff like that. 
I also know a number of Iranians, you know, especially people who are NFT artists, right? And they also like in a very difficult situation. One thing I have to say is that still the world, the technology is marching on. And I think that the things that we're doing with uh, Web3 is exactly one of the important tools to help us move forward despite all of that stuff, right? Because I think that now with the technologies like VPNs and NFTs and crypto, uh, somebody living in a crazy place uh, with a lot with you know, dictatorship like, you know, Iran or Russia or whatever, uh, they can still access the world economy. You know, they can, it's still possible to find information, access information. It's still possible to actually uh, work for some DAO or for some other organization outside of the country. It's possible to get paid. I don't know about the station I run, but I know that, uh, for example, in Russia, people can exchange crypto into local currency, right? So they can earn crypto. So it means that in, in a way, you know, we used to live in, uh, in this, uh, or, you know, societies which had geographical borders when we still do have that, right? But the thing is like, we also are becoming much more of uh, world citizens, right? And this is, it's becoming much easier for you than to find people who think like you, who want, to, if you want to work on stuff that resonates with you, you can do that, right? It's a little bit, it, it, it is harder, no question about this, because, you know, we still are animals, we're social animals, we want to connect with people, we want to see their faces, we want to hug them and all of this stuff. And sometimes it's now harder for you to connect with like-minded people in your own, you know, city, in your own country. But you can still do a lot of that stuff online, right? And obviously it is harder and, you know, you have to follow uh, the precautions and safety protocols. But personally, for me, one of the important aspects of uh, Web3 is, uh, uh, and, you know, the ability for people anywhere to engage with the world uh, outside of where they are. And I think it's uh, it's wonderful, you know, participate in the world economy. It's like I spoke to this, I remember I was speaking to this uh, uh, teenager in India and he created this, you know, uh, NFT project and he made a million bucks and all of this stuff. It, it's all possible, right? And I have some friends uh, in Iran who are NFT artists and, you know, life is, sometimes can be hard for them. Like he was trying to see his girlfriend who is in Turkey and, you know, it was really hard for him to not be able to see that to see her, but he's still creating his art. He's still able to sell his art, to make some money, to support, you know, uh, some people outside of Turkey, by outside of Iran, by sending crypto. So for me, that's uh, at least a step in this direction. You know, when I was growing up in the Soviet Union, for me, a tiny window into the outside world was my ability to listen to uh, radio stations from outside of Russia, right? And they were being jammed, but I was listening to I, me, Voice of America. Too. Yeah, yeah, me too, yeah, Voice of right. America and BBC. Yeah, exactly. BBC, yes. In BBC, BBC yeah. yeah. So it was like, uh, it felt very scary and exciting and uh, to get a glimpse of that, right? And uh, at least there is a bit more of that, right? So, so that's what I'm thinking. That's so fascinating. You just brought a whole nostalgia uh, for, you know, th those days I remember where, uh, you know, we, uh, it was like Friday afternoons at 2 p.m., you know, try to tune into the radio station to listen to, you know, uh, listen to English um, music, you know, and and uh, and they kept 
for a lot of people listening to this, they probably don't know what you meant when you said jammed. But basically, mm. they would send these um, like waves or you know what what do you call it? You know, like they basically would translate on the same frequency, just yes. as pleasant sound. Like so, they wouldn't right, allow so you to listen. And it was like, yeah, they would. God, like, like, why would you do that? Because you know, it was like the only thing that kept us sane that we could connect to the, you know, to the outside world, and and we um, were able to actually find out what was going on in the, yeah. You know, in it. But but uh, we didn't even have the ability, you know, satellite. Like you know, a lot of people in Iran still have a problem with being able to access through satellite to access, you know, like um, uh, Western media because. Of course. Yeah, because they keep sending these uh, signals so that they can't watch um, anything to do. And actually, um, when I came from uh, when I came uh, from Scotland, so I studied in Scotland and then came to London. I worked for a Persian language TV channel in uh, in the UK in London. That was basically. Uh, against the Iranian government, right? So like mm -hmm. BBC Persian. So, but similar to that, it was like more like a Persian ITV. And just because of that, I can't go back to Iran now. So uh, for mm -hmm. example, there was a lady uh, who worked for BBC Persian. Um, uh, her name is, you may have heard of her, Nazanin um, Radcliffe. Uh, uh, and uh, she went back to see her parents with her um, young you know, I think her child was like six months old at the, at the time. So she goes back to see her parents and they put her in jail because she worked for BBC. Um, mm -hmm. And she was in jail for like six or seven years. And, you know, she went on hunger strikes and all that stuff. And then eventually she just recently has been uh, released. But I imagine like once by the time she came, comes out of uh, prison, her child is like six or seven years old. And now, you know, yeah. she's just come back to London. So yeah, it's a it's a very difficult um, place to be. And one of the things that I kind of like about this, um, I, I have double or like you know mixed feelings about the anonymity uh, culture in in crypto and NFTs. Um, but I I think that for people who live in those kinds of areas, it's very helpful for them to have this ability to be anonymous and just like use their uh, wallet to be able to connect it to the web because um, it's very hard. Like technically, let's say if somebody uh, lived in Iran because Iran is under sanction, it would be very hard for us to to work with them to do anything with them you know but at least if they are anonymous they can still uh, connect their wallet they can still go in and work in DAOs and nobody cares who you are where you are from so um, yeah that's one of the things that that's um you know that's kind of positive um speaking of anonymity um, so you are Vitalik's father, you know, who is one of the most prominent uh, figures in uh, in the crypto space. Um, and of course, then we have Satoshi uh, that is uh, pseudonymous. So nobody knows who they are. Right. Uh, so how do you feel about the juxtaposition of these two things? You know, and, and uh, like, do you sometimes wish uh, you know, that Vitalik was also pseudonymous, uh, or uh, are you happy that people know him? Um, do you ever uh, worry about him in that sense? Well, you see, Ethereum by its nature is, uh, is a system that is very open and inviting, and it's about fostering, you know, their ecosystem where 
people can come in and build stuff. Uh, and Bitcoin uh, is a very different, much more, if you will, culture of like us against the world. It's like the world is bad, but we have this wonderful ideal creation and uh, we will fight the world, right? But uh, Ethereum culture is very different. It's more like, hey, you know, we're building this cool new platform technology that can help the world and uh, let's come on in and build let's build more stuff right so it's much more open and human if you will and because of that like i don't think that uh, i mean that's one aspect of uh, vitalik being uh, well known that's also an attraction for many people in the ecosystem right because there are lots like again very grossly oversimplifying right but uh, when you look at bitcoin people there are a lot of people who are into who are like libertarians and i own a gun and i will fight the government i will resist and i understand that because like uh uh i would say that i generally resonate a lot with the uh, libertarian value so rather i would say with their with freedom because uh growing up again in such an oppressive environment as soviet union i uh i place very high value on freedom uh, but when I look at Ethereum ecosystem, it has a different vibe. It has a lot of really bright, uh, creative thinkers, developers, and so on. And also many of them, like uh, smart guys who who are not really into owning guns or violence, stuff like that. So it's like, it's a, it's a different vibe. It's more like, hey, you know what? Like uh, you can actually make you can impact the world and, you know, bring about major changes by being who you are and being smart, being nerdy and all of that, right? And I think that in a way, uh, as you know, Vitalik does a lot of speaking, right? And, you know, when he speaks, uh, a lot of people, uh, well, he comes out and he speaks and he giggles and he can wear pajamas on the stage and whatnot. And then, you know, some people ridicule him for that. Oh, look at his stupid clothing. Oh, look, he he's underweight. He's this and that, right? So they ridicule him, right? But many other people are then attracted to that because end of the day, so many of us, what we're looking for is we want to be free, right? And we, we are free and that's a separate discussion. But it's, uh, you know, when we see somebody who you can sense that, oh, wow, this person, He's free to say what he wants, you know, he's free to tell to Russian government that, you know, they suck and, you know, they should off and he's free to wear pajamas on stage. All of us, we want that, right? But we're scared quite often to do that. And, you know, there are good reasons, of course, for fears with all our programming and upbringing and whatnot. So for me, I think that Vitalik being a public figure and people knowing who he is, is a very important aspect of Ethereum. I cannot see, you know, like, how can you separate that? Like many people uh, join Ethereum because, you know, if you're a smart developer, there are many awesome projects you can work on and they have wonderful technology. But Ethereum community for me, like, you know, it feels like it has different vibe. It has vibe of fun and freedom and creativity and not just a vibe of like, oh, let's fight. Let's like kill those other guys. It's, it's a different vibe. I totally agree. Like um, when I was, uh, look, I, I hold uh, BTC and ETH in my portfolio. And I also have a lot of Ethereum uh, based NFTs. Uh, so, and, and as I mentioned before we started recording, I'm also building our own NFTs on Ethereum. So um, I would say that, you know, I'm 
pretty much equally invested in both, maybe a little bit more in Ethereum because of, you know, a lot of the work stuff is, is related to Ethereum. I use ETH a lot more, whereas with Bitcoin for me, um, and when I say Bitcoin, I mean BTC is, uh, you know, something that um, is, I use it more of a store of value. It's, it's there for like, you know, for future. Um, so, uh, but I, I totally agree with you, you know, because uh, when I watched um, Bitcoin uh, Miami, for example, um, the, the, uh, I watched, I wasn't there, but I watched the, the recording or the um, live stream. It felt very much like a lot of alpha men. Uh, yeah. And then when you watch something like Permissionless or, or you know, things like ETH Denver, et cetera, it's such a different vibe. It's like slightly mm -hmm. younger and like just cool, nerdy chill you know like uh, you know let's sit mm. on a bin bag and then like code you know it's a very very different vibe and i i like both i uh, i very much agree with you i'm i would say that i'm um generally speaking i consider myself an anarchist i have a mm -hmm. distaste me too for, you know i have a distaste for governments because like you i come from a very mm -hmm. um you know oppressive uh, government um, experience you know like where I grew up, uh, my experience and understanding of government was always like, you know, either it was obviously I was born after the revolution, but so, and so that was my understanding, but even for people who, uh, you know, were, were born before, you know, during the Shah, they said that the Shah was also um, technically a di dictator, you know, so, so it wasn't like, it was never like a um, the kind of democracy that you see in the West. And I don't mm. think that the Western democracy is perfect, um, but I no. think it's a, it's a great step in, a, in the right direction. And I see right. decentralization. So actually I gave a TED talk about this and, and I said that um, decentralization is the next generation of democracy. So we are going yeah. from, you know, um, like representative democracy to decentralization and that, mm. um, you know, technologies like Ethereum will allow us to better organize ourselves you know so it's, it's totally it, yeah yeah i think things like you know direct democracy and all of that stuff i definitely see a lot of the future potential in that and i wanted to philosophize a little bit on what you said before i forget it's like again like bitcoin is a wonderful wonderful invention right which really started this whole crypto ecosystem and it was created as a uh to counterbalance the centralization of power authority you know, including management of money by governments, many of them who turned out not to be worthy of our trust, right? But it's really interesting that, again, like, uh, uh, if you think about this, the concept of centralized governments, it's like, okay, we know what we're doing, we are strong, you know, uh, the, we are, it's only our thinking that is correct, right? And if you look, for example, currently at the invasion uh, of uh, Russia into Ukraine, it's the same. Like Russia is like posturing, we're strong, you know, we will fight, we will win, stuff like that. But they're also losing badly and they're making lots of mistakes. And it's impossible for them to, to admit any of their mistakes. So they will just keep lying, they will keep bamboozing people's propaganda and whatnot. And, you know, in some ways it's working, but also it's kind of starting to crumble in different ways. And when I look at Bitcoin, again, it's a wonderful invention, right? Which started all, it all. And Bitcoin is a technology, right? And technologies, they, they evolve, they change, you know? Uh, and for me, that's kind of the problem was like, I see in a lot of uh, 
uh, I, I still hold uh, some Bitcoin, right? And when I look at the Bitcoin community, I also see this kind of this very constricted orthodox thinking, no, Bitcoin is the best, is the only thing, everything else is bad and, you know, and we should not change it in any way. But the thing is, the world is moving on, right? And things like proof of work, it was a wonderful invention, which was very important for both Bitcoin and Ethereum. But now we also see the scale this the technologies are currently used, which was not, we could not have envisioned that, you know, back then when it was created, it's creating a major problem with, you know, environmental impact and stuff like that. So I think that uh, the stubbornness of Bitcoin, which is its strength, it's also its weakness, right? And that's why I'm kind of getting, I'm kind of losing slowly my confidence in Bitcoin and its ability to evolve because every technology has to evolve. The world is changing, we always change we as humans, you know, taking a human, you know, my hair is gray and, you know, we're changing. We cannot, we, we adapt, you know, and sometimes we have to wear glasses and stuff like that, right? And trying to pretend that, um, you know, we're still the same as we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's not going to work, right? And people will try to hang on. But I think like when we get stuck on a particular idea and we stubbornly refuse to change, at some point there change will happen and it will be more painful, right? And for this reason, I really uh, I really like how in Ethereum community, there's much more openness in terms of discussion. Oh, here's the problem that we have. How do we solve this? Well, here's a mistake we've made. Here's, you know, the promise that we made that was, you know, over-promised in terms of timeline, stuff like that. And being the ability to admit one's weaknesses and mistakes and problems and faults and stuff like that, I think, it's like for community is a very important for any human being is a very important aspect of being a happier, more peaceful human, more adaptable to your environment. So that's what I think about all of this. Yeah, I um, I definitely hear you on that. That's why personally, look, um, proof of work is very attractive to me in many ways. I can see the value of it. I can I I hear their argument, and uh, I can see what they're saying when when they say you know proof of work is essentially it's a way to literally turn energy into money uh and and that's uh that's an attractive thing that's interesting um yeah i think that's by the way you think i think okay. it's a met yeah, metaphor me. that is totally uh improper because it's not turning energy into money like why it's it's just an algorithm to keep people honest right so as we decentralized to, to solve their, uh, what's called a civil resistance issue, then uh, we trying to do our best to uh, make sure that uh, the, their miners, validators, whatever particular technology calls them, are selected at random, right? And uh, proof of work is, uh, is a way for uh, a particular participant in the ecosystem to signal their commitment to the ecosystem. But the reason the energy is spent is because the particular algorithm that is used to validate the investment to this is very inefficient. Again, it was wonderful at a certain scale, but it's inefficient. So again, like when I look at all the research that's been done in the last 10 years and the practical stuff and the experiments and whatnot, okay, now we have proof of stake that is delivering the same, uh, like why do we need those algorithms? We need them to protect their system from uh, being, uh, uh, bridged from uh, fraud and uh, and stuff like that from censorship, and I think that uh, now it's pretty clear that uh, proof of stake is able to provide 
the same and better level of uh, protection against attacks, but at much, much, much lower energy costs. So it's like, you know, that metaphor, I've come across this and I discussed it, but it's like basically in proof of work, you have computers that keep running 24 seven and they basically just wasting energy solving uh, stupid cryptographic puzzles. And they do that to prove to the system, I have this much hardware because like, how else do you prove this? Like, you know, it's it, it was an ingenious hack, if you will. But again, like people come up with, their, with a hack or they come up with an algorithm, but they constantly improve it, right? This is what humanity does always. Like we invented uh, steam engines, but we didn't stop there. We invented, uh, you know, combustion engines and we invented electrical engines. And now we're working on all kinds of other stuff. So, uh, so yeah, for me, that yeah. metaphor it's like when you look deep down into what it means, it doesn't really hold water. Very interesting. Yeah, no, it's uh, I, I hear you. And I, I have um, listened to so many arguments from both sides. Um, mm. And uh, uh, I have to admit that I honestly can't say that, uh, uh, you know, some of the best minds in this in both sides can't agree on this. So I honestly can't say that I can definitely um, say that I'm on either either side uh, i think that mm -hmm. mistake is newer so it it, it takes also time to uh, to see one of the things that i'm currently uh, researching a lot is quantum computing and i want yeah. to see once quantum computing is here which of these two systems um is going to be more resistant and more uh, you know um uh, like you know more suitable to a future where computers are extremely powerful and you know on the surface from my understanding is that proof of work might be more vulnerable uh, to quantum uh, you know quantum attacks or quantum computing um yeah so but i i don't know for sure uh, and this is something that i'm researching right now so i do need to get some people who are you know more deeply involved in quantum computing to comment on that um I don't know if you have had any uh, experience with this or whether you have talked to some people in, in quantum computing. I have very superficial understanding of that. Uh, my current perception is that it's possible to secure both, you know, some changes would be required to both Ethereum and you know, uh, to both proof of stake based system and proof of work based systems to protect them against quantum uh, computing that is coming. It is possible. It will take some work. Uh, I think that we still have some time before other realistic feasible attacks uh, against uh, blockchains based on uh, quantum computing. Uh, actually, one aspect, one thing that I think is interesting is that I think that Ethereum has shown its ability to adapt and evolve. And, uh, and this is uh, an important aspect of also that I, uh, that gives me more confidence that Ethereum will be able to adapt to quantum computer work. Like Bitcoin uh, has proven to be, again, like they have very strong positioning, but that position is like, you know, our system was invented as ideal on day one, and this is it, and it will never change. But again, like it works until it stops working, right? And again, there will be some challenges, whether it's quantum computing, where that's the sufficiency of uh, the security budget uh, in Bitcoin. And uh, at some point, the system will have to be changed, right? But when you have committed so much effort to saying that our system should never be changed, then uh, it will 
probably cause some issues when the system eventually has to change. Yeah, definitely. I can I can see the argument on that side. Um, so uh, for now, what I'm doing is I'm just holding both, <laughs> you know, because mm. I don't right. I don't know the answer, right? So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. So as you know, I uh, essentially refer to myself as a tech philosopher. Uh, I studied philosophy, uh, and um, you know, I think a lot about who are we, why are we here. Uh, and, and what what life is I can tell about. you all that <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah I know that that's something that that plays a lot on your mind so we can talk a little bit about that uh, so I I do meditate I, I know that you talked about this with uh, David Hoffman um, and um, he, I I do like uh, Sam Harris too there are some things that I don't always agree with him but in general I do like him a lot um, and uh, I know that you're a fan um, so from all of the this time that you've been thinking about who are we why are we here what uh in uh, what conclusions have you come to mm. i mean for most people my conclusions would not make any sense we're not here we are life i mean life is all there is and most people um they live in the illusion they can find a way to control life and the mind is very tricky this way because when things, it, it looks like, again, I believe that the human being in every situation always does its best to react to the situation the way they can based on their upbringing, based on their genetics, based on the current circumstance, based on the current state of the environment and stuff like that. Uh, they always make the best solution. And then like sometimes people look back, oh, I made a mistake. I don't believe in mistakes. It's like, Back then, that was the best option that the organism could take. Uh, and now the option would be different. And the thing is like, uh, so when human beings desperately always trying to find control, they're always trying to find that elusive happiness because there is this concept of happiness. Most people care that this is some state when I'm constantly blissful and loving and accepting and all of this and then they try to find that state through many different uh, algorithms by pursuing achievement money relationships sex kids meditation and all of this stuff and it cannot be found in any of these things because life is not that way you know you can be meditating the out of every day and then Putin will press a stupid button in his bunker and he will destroy the world with nuclear bombs. And all of your meditation will not change that, right? And, there, and, and then, you know, you can meditate or you can have lots of money and then you get sick or a person close to you gets sick and, and, and you lose somebody close to you and then you cry. And there is sadness. There is a grieving, right? Humans, we cannot run away from that. And again, the mind is so tricky. It's constantly trying to, whenever we seem to be able to control uh, the things and like, oh, it's me, I have it, I've done it, right? But then also every day, there are many things we cannot control. And then our mind just ignores them and constantly trying to hold on to this illusion of control. But there's no control. There's just like stuff that is changing and happening. And it's like, uh, look at the life of every human being. Like, uh, one, you know, yesterday my daughter woke up and she was, uh, for some reason, she was not in a bad mood that she was angry at me and, you know, she was suffering. And today she's in a good mood. And, you know, today uh, 
I feel this way, I feel that way, the weather is different, there's this war here, there's this peace here, there's this creation, there's this conference you went to that, you know, uh, cause you upset. Uh, so the thing is, like, uh, life is, uh, is always full of all of this stuff. And human beings, uh, what they're seeking can never be found. But the things like, uh, they already have what they're seeking, but uh, it's, uh, it's hard to impossible for most human beings to to get that because it cannot be understood not not with the mind it's a very different uh, kind of thing yeah definitely i um growing up in iran you know um it's a religious uh, environment and of course you mm -hmm. came from the exact opposite where they said religion was bad but mm -hmm. the, the conviction whether it's um to say re religion is good or religion is bad the conviction itself is like a religion even if you're in communism you know that conviction is basically a, a kind of religion and in many ways i would say that about for example bitcoin or you know or anybody who is even ethereum maximalist any kind of maximalism is a, is a kind of like religion, essentially. Every time when we're very adamantly convinced that this is the right way, this is bad or this is good or whatever, if we listen very carefully to ourselves, we will notice that there's a lot of fear, there are a lot of doubts to us yeah. because we actually scared that this is not the case. Mm -hmm. Because if, we, if inside of us there's total conviction, there's a knowing you know not like knowing in the mind but knowing if you will in subconscious in your heart then you're not bothered like you know with doubts and things like that it's just like okay this is the way it is i know that but it's like this is definitely i know that this is the way for me for a different person can be absolutely different right and again when i look at religions like yes I, for example i grew up atheist and i had this big resistance to all religions and eventually i realized that uh, my current take on this is like all of the religions they come from the same core insight you know whether that's uh, uh islam buddhism christianity and then that's core insight is inevitably misunderstood is misinterpreted by imperfect humans that we are and then it kind of trying to reproduce that inside by if you will see the outside, but not understanding the actual core inside behind all of this. And uh, that's, that's our struggle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've always tried to, um, you know, kind of understand who I am there, why am I here? And when I was like four or five years old, I used to sit in front of the mirror and like think about, you know, like looking mm. at the, the veins in my eyes and like, you know, on my hands. And I was like, you know, what is this? Why am I here? And it was so painful that I used to cry, you know, like when I was very young, because I was like, I don't understand why I'm here. What is, mm. like, why am I alive? What is this? Like, where was I before I was here? You know, I, I kept, mm -hmm. I felt, I kept thinking. Very I, important questions. You know, I, I always closed my eyes and I felt like I was going back. I felt like I was like taking a step back and going into this kind of place of, you know, in the dark and like walking back trying to go back 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 to before I was born and like understanding mm. where I was and um, eventually I found some peace um, by um, you know a combination of studying a lot of philosophy meditating reading you know learning about science a combination of biology quantum mechanics all that stuff and 
um, I kind of put together a, a mental model for myself that helped me cope with the fact that I'm here and that, mm. that, that I'm having this experience and, and knowing that this experience is not going to last um, and, and um, you know, just, just to help me cope with it, which was not necessarily something that came from uh, a religious figure that told me this is how it works. It's, it's something that I built for myself. And basically that what, what that is, is like understanding that since the beginning of the Big Bang, the universe has been going towards a state of maximum entropy and, um, you know, random particles got together and they created, uh, you know, this um, uh, these clusters uh, and and the thing that really helped me was um, uh, Schrodinger's um, book uh, called What Is Life, you know, and uh, essentially he talks about that how these random particles get together and they create these clusters and then these clusters try to overcome entropy and those clusters are called life and then intelligent life is essentially this bit he doesn't talk about, but I'm, I'm saying that intelligent life is when these clusters become aware of what they're doing. And then they work together uh, and they create these um, organisms. And technology is when those clusters that have become intelligent create these tools and techniques to enhance their ability to overcome entropy. So ultimately, all that life is, is overcoming entropy. That's what really life is all about. It's like the, uh, the uh, universe is going towards a state of entropy. Life is trying to, um, you know, minimize that entropy and try to persist in this entropic game. And as life does that, life creates experiences. And then I'm one of those clusters of, hmm. you know, particles that has come together in this shape. And I'm here to create these experiences. And that's how I cope with it. What the, how does hmm. that sound to you? It's a pretty reasonable story. Um, I mean, if you want, I can send you a document that I wrote some time ago, but it's kind of similar, you know, thinking through about this stuff. But I, I'll tell you this, awareness is, uh, the way I think about this is, uh, is modeling. So this cluster, if you will, is uh, um, if it models the environment better, then it will continue to, to be, or it will replicate. So the, its ability to model the environment is essential because when you have a good model of something, then that there, then uh, you're able to, you have high chances of uh, continuing to exist or replicating. And thus uh, those models continue to uh, perpetuate, if you will. And the thing is like, you know, those models are really our awareness and uh, what you think of as my experience and here's me having this experience is they are also just models, nothing more. So they don't exist, if you will, in reality, they only exist in, in your, <laughs> well, and it's very tricky to talk about this because human language is not well tailored to this, but uh, when we say you're right, like one other pointer to this, if you will, is that, so let's say there are 7 billion people on earth. So there are 7 billion totally individual experiences, 7 billion hallucinations or virtual realities that uh, those uh, modeling clusters have created about what 
what is happening, right? And there are also, you have all kinds of other animals. They have uh, simpler models of their, or different, in some ways, more sophisticated models or different models of, uh, of reality. And uh, within each cluster that creates that modeling then, uh, and some of them that are human beings, they have this concept of me and then they live in this concept of here's me, I live in this world and this is what I do and whatnot. And actually, as you know, there are some people uh, who end up with different models and they lose the model of me. And it's really fascinating that it turns out that the model of me being separate from the world is not essential for uh, for living. Actually, it leads to surprising me to a uh, more peaceful, if you will, and happy life. And, and it's impossible to change your model because you are that model. So the model cannot change itself. But uh, yeah, we just like scratching the surface of some really deep topics on this. Yeah, absolutely. I like the I like the addition of the modeling to that. Um, so I, I appreciate we are almost on, on uh, at time. Do you have time for one last question? Sure. So you talked about you know replication, and it's one of the ways that we feel like we are continuing in this world. You know, we we replicate. Mm. So you are obviously father to the Vitalik, one of the you know, probably somebody who will go, not probably, I think he will go down in history as having made major contribution to humanity. How does that feel uh, to you? You know, and, and I say that as somebody who has decided not to replicate, like I, I decided not to have mm. children. What is it to be Vitalik's father? It's totally fascinating because thanks to that, I kind of got a front row seat to see and to be plugged in into the Ethereum community and being connected to some amazing people and to Vitalik obviously himself to see what they're thinking about what they create and all of this stuff so it's really a lot of fun and it really resonates with my internal curiosity and uh, about the things that you said um, one of the things that uh, we humans always uh, underestimate if you will make mistakes we say oh, I've decided this it's it's fine the thing is like you know it's really hard for us to accept our own inconsistency, inconsistency of other people, because in this whole modeling process, we have this uh, mistaken idea that we are some kind of static thing. I have decided this is me. Oh, this is not me. This is not my true self. You know, I will find my true self. This is bad. I will heal this out of me, but it's bull. Like human beings are infinite, ever-changing clouds. They constantly change in the interaction with the environment, with life, with things like that. So every perception of ourselves, it's all part of us, but also when we open to the fact that what we have decided can change the next moment, then life becomes much easier because we can have total conviction. Right now, this is my decision. This is what I want. Tomorrow, who the hell knows? Maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and want to have 10 children and stuff like that. Who knows? You know being open to that ever-changing flow of things. That's one aspect. And yes, bringing, you know, human beings, besides Vitalik, I have two daughters, uh, so I have three kids, and bringing human beings to this world and then helping to nurture them and help them grow and uh, all of this stuff is, uh, there are a lot of challenges. You know, I uh, basically in that human uh, 
in the metaphor of human growth and development, you know, running your own business, being in a relationship, and then having three kids is uh, some of the major tools that trigger you. And that leads to some of the biggest growth that you have, right? Um, and one last thing is uh, I have to say is that I have this amazing friend that I've known for about 15 years, and he used to have a decision. Yeah, I never want to have kids, this and that. And then he went through some big transformations uh, in the last uh, five years, especially. And he just recently sent me a message that they expect, right? And he's going to be a father. And it's uh, it's a big shift, right? And you know, again, like that openness to things constantly shifting or not, right? So, like uh, as long for me, it's like people constantly argue: oh, is it, is it good to bad to have kids, or is it uh, good or bad? Is it easy or is it hard? Well, it's everything at the same time, and it's like having a child, being uh, a parent. Uh, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of other stuff, and it's uncontrollable, right? And our mind thinks that, oh, I have decided that things should be this way, and now this will keep me in this emotional state. And the universe will say, you, like your emotional state will change. You will experience sadness, you will experience happiness, you will experience joy, you will experience fear, you will experience so many things. And then you will die because you are a human being with all of this stuff. And there are no decisions that can, you know, keep you in this way. And you can go to caves or, you know, you can go to Burning Man and you will have all kinds of experiences, but experiences will keep changing until they stop changing. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's true. Well, so far I haven't wanted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Why yeah. not? Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's, it's been a really fun conversation and I hope to have you back. You know, I'm a big fan of what Vitalik is building. And I know that, look, you can't keep everybody happy. People have got different opinions and, and uh, different agendas. So we cannot even keep ourselves happy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what yeah. about others? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's, um, it's definitely something impactful that is being built uh, and uh, you know I, I say that as somebody who generally keeps an open mind to things changing you know things um, nobody knows for sure you know like what is the final state of um, any of these technologies uh, and mm. whether uh, whether there is any final state I think there's no final state yeah uh, you're constantly moving and, yeah. and changing um, but uh, thank you for bringing him into this world <laughs> you know playing a part you know <laughs> like playing your part <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know playing your part thank you it was great to talk to you I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dimitri Buterin. It was a great conversation and I hope to speak to him again in the not so distant future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.